And I heard that um, uh, you actually went on vacation recently uh, to Salisbury as oh, well. Oh, yes. Yes. Is um, that how you say that? Salisbury? I, I, how do you Salisbury. say it's like, Sal- it's like Salisbury steak. Salisbury. It's much like that. I, I love working in, in the famous anti-white cafe, but after, after a while you have to like take a break. So... I have been thinking for a long time that I needed to go on vacation and, you know, I went through lots of like Lonely Planet manuals. I went through all like the TripAdvisor stuff. And then I just decided that there was this one place that was missing in my life. Um, but I felt would be the perfect blend of relaxation, fun, education, and general beauty. And that place is Salisbury. Uh, so uh, it just it just it just so happened I went to Salisbury to go see the 123 meter cathedral, uh-huh. and some some stuff happened. You know, yeah, you just, know, you could you couldn't really control it, right? I mean, what's what's that what's that guy's name who who thought who had the theory about the two Russian guys? Hang on, can we first of all the, settle the main conspiracy theory of why neither of you can say Salisbury? <laughs> it's Fuck really off. bothering Is it, is it me. Salisbury? It's Salisbury. We both have Canadian passports. Yeah, so, we both have yeah. Canadian passports so that, you know, when... Is there anywhere called Salisbury in Canada? I don't think No, there there's is. the steak. It's Salisbury but isn't steak. is from the US? Well, I don't know, maybe. I, you think I'm a steer as a steak expert? I'm, oh. I was a vegetarian at some point briefly. <laughs> briefly. <laughs> Um, and why was that? <laughs> <laughs> this part of the recording was lost. <laughs> uh, who was the uh, who was the reporter who who sort of had the theory oh, about the two yes. Russian guys? Okay, so there, so there's this guy called Craig Murray, right? Yeah. Um, we're not we're going to try not to do libel because well, even though we have set up a Patreon, we don't we can't afford a lawyer. Uh-huh. No, um, no promises, lads. Uh, so there's this guy called Craig Murray. He used to work for the Guardian. Now he's a freelance researcher, commentator, etc. Um, a man and, who may or may not be called Craig Murray. <laughs> um, and he kind of appears on like RT a lot and stuff like that. Um, so he's been on Twitter today, like basically trying to like, you know, separate the lies from the truth and figure out why these two guys were 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 in Salisbury, right? Or Salisbury. Yeah. Fucking nerds. Um, <laughs> nerds so, knowing so, so, how so, things are said. So, so here's his theory. His theory is, is that these guys are actually 100% gay for each other. Um, but they were going on a lad's holiday, a romantic holiday, not a lad's holiday. Sorry. Um, they were going on a romantic holiday, which you can't really do in Russia in his words, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then, and then Craig Murray says, he says to this, he says to like one of these guys, uh, Oh, by the, by my research, what I found, what I, what I believe is that, you know, they're both bodybuilders and, you know, they kind of like push these like, you know, weight supplements. I don't understand where that came from. And, I don't understand like he, what, what- He also, yeah. he also claimed that they were in Salisbury. There you go. They were in <laughs> Salisbury because it was featured in a Lonely Planet guide yes, in 2010. Yeah. As like one of the places you should go to this, if you're visiting England. This, no, this, that's the thing. What he's actually, actually done is he has created the best potential Coen Brothers movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> where like two, like- a, a sort of a, a bickering couple of Russian bodybuilders just tries to fix their relationship by going on vacation to Salisbury because their vitamin sales business is faltering <laughs> and then get mixed up in an international poisoning incident. I would love to see this movie. And that's We're, a movie that's going to be, it's going to be made. And it'll be, it'll feature Alex Jones and Paul Joseph Watson. Volva, we're going in search of the most extreme poppers there is. Nerve gas. <laughs> <laughs>
Hello and welcome once again to Trash Future, the podcast that we do uh, some of the time. Sadly. (laughs) Um, We are here once again today with the original lineup, um, sort of. Sort of. Sorry, Version two of the lineup. Uh, Hussein is back. Back. He's back, back from Canada. Back from Vancouver. Yeah, back from Canada. Back from the place where everyone is just referred to as a person uh-huh. um, because you can't refer to gender in Canada. Um, and that's why Lauren Southern was kicked out and is not allowed to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Vancouver is... Vancouver was nice. I I was on a show. I was on a show while I was in Vancouver and I fell asleep. So I actually l- literally remember nothing of what happened <laughs> other than like a bunch of people who were just DMing me saying like, do you know you were snoring in the episode? Uh-huh. And I was like, no, obviously not because I was asleep. Yeah, right? owned with logic. <laughs> <laughs> owned um, our fans. Thank you. Uh, Vancouver is like a very strange place because it's basically surround. It's like their property market is even more fucked than in London. Yeah. Um. So- Everywhere is surrounded by like super nice condos that look exactly like the ones that Patrick Bateman has in American Psycho, that famous film about business. Yeah, that film about a cool business guy who does business stuff. (laughs) Good skincare regime. Uh, It's a cool film about a guy who takes care of his skin. I don't understand what you people are reading into it. So it's this place that's basically been built on like illicit money coming from like mainly from Hong Kong, but from other places too. Um, there's lots of kind of rich kids in Vancouver and like, you've got these 17 year olds who like drive in Porsches and that's a normal thing over there. Right. They drive in like Porsches and Audis. Like one of these guys had like a Lamborghini. Well, they're Um, they're like that. They're like that, uh, uh, that financier who just got like repeatedly owned by people on mopeds. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's going to be the inspiration for like death wish, 2018 Britain edition. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's, and yeah, it's just this weird place where there's like lots of these like empty condos, um, that all look exactly the same. Vancouver was a weird place. Um, and we also, uh, we also, I'm going to move, uh, I'm going to move us along here. We're also joined by a series regular Milo Edwards. Yeah, it's me, boy. Um, uh, at Milo underscore Edwards on Twitter. <laughs> hasn't uh, been to Vancouver. At me, at me with any, with any questions about the current Russian incident. My, uh, my current theory is that these two guys are the most unlucky tourists of all time. <laughs> and they're, they're currently embroiled in a massive argument. And he's like, Fuck you, Vladimir. Oh, yes, I wanted to go on a cruise, but you had to see Salisbury Cathedral. It has excellent stained glass. Now look what has happened. I remember 1963. We had to go on a tour of all the grassy knolls of Texas. How did that turn out? 1997, our summer holiday. Driving through Paris in a white Fiatuno. Why do you always do this? <laughs> <laughs> and we are joined by our guest today, the IPPR's Matthew Lawrence. Uh, hi, it's a pleasure to be here. My favorite part of like having smart guests on the show is like that period of time where they're just like sitting back and thinking like, what the fuck have I gotten Why myself Why did in? I do this? Why am I on this? Um, the show is dumbest up top. We, yeah. uh, we, you may, you may re- note that we've, we've had it. We've, it's been IPPR, IPPR heavy content recently uh, because they keep releasing reports and we keep wanting to talk about them. Um, so you guys are all just gonna have to sit there and enjoy it because we're definitely not being paid by the IPPR. You hogs. We're, spo- we're sponsored by Vremi, the socialist cookware company. Remember that. Buy, Vem- buy Vremi products. Um, Eat so- this think tank <laughs> analysis, you hogs. <laughs> so Matthew is one of the two principal authors of a report called The Digital Commonwealth that the IPPR recently released, which is about understanding how we can kind of democratize the data economy, more or less. Yeah, I think that's a sort of- Yeah. Snapshot. I was imagining like digital colonialism. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, we. No, what we have is it's like we have Osimo, but he's dressed up as a conquistador. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but we're going to go through a, we're actually going to do a classic trash future bit first. So this product, what we're doing, we're going to run through this one. Uh, it's got a really deceptively simple name. Uh, it is called The Mirror. Ooh. Ooh. Not leaving much to, well, it's leaving much to the imagination, but at the same time, it doesn't. Oh, damn. That's pretty profound, dude. Yeah. Have you been on the Joe Rogan podcast? Uh, is it? Wait, this, this isn't the Joe Rogan show? <laughs> mm. No. Um, it, 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 I was saying, you ever done DMT? <laughs> it appears to be. It indeed appears to be. Any, any, any initial thoughts? What jumps into your head? The mirror. Um... Is it like is it is it is is it like a type of like Siri based system where you say something and it repeats the same thing, but in like a foreign accent? <laughs> foreign accent, not even a foreign language. Foreign language. So it's like a it's a yak back that makes you yak up. Yeah, it's, ba- it's basically just like you say something and it repeats the same thing back, but in Milo's like English Russian. Yeah. So it's voice. an it's an in Soviet Union mirror watch you thing yeah, basically. Yeah. In Soviet Union, mirror yak you off. Anyway, um, well, you really bailed off of that one quick. Huh? It's a, it's a digital, it's a digital, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, a tablet computer type thing, but it will cut cocaine on it for you. Yeah, that <laughs> is what I was thinking. That helped me the obvious of innovation. It draws out the size of line for an appropriate dose, and you like match it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it is the future of blank is at your place. The nearly invisible interactive blank. Wife. <laughs> Hashtag wife. Uh, or I voice my wife. Right? It's a real puzzler, this one. Um, is, the future of blank is at your place. The nearly invisible interactive blank. Listeners, uh, feel free I, all to... I, all, I'm, all I'm thinking is that it probably has something to do with like a hand job. <laughs> I mean, it can help you get one. No. Well, for I mean, real? in a very sort of like is it, distributed is it, sense. Is it like, is it like a dating? Is it like a weird dating blockchain thing? <laughs> uh, it, listen, it's like very secure dating. Listeners, listeners, if you have any guesses, uh, feel free to shout them at your phone. <laughs> okay. It um, helps you to get a hand job. Is it having a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so when it's on, it's a, when it's off rather, it's a full length mirror. But when it's on, you can see yourself. Well, that You're- sounds like a regular mirror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will not work for vampires. <laughs> you can see yourself, your instructor, and your classmates in a sleek interactive display, complete with embedded camera and your speakers. Your mirror instructor. <laughs> it's something to do with yoga. Yeah, yeah, Matthew's yeah, got it. That's, oh, Matthew has it. Oh, no. I can't do jokes. I can just do, you know, detailed, you just, analytical. You can, do lo- you can do logic, which is yeah. why... Um, yeah. You should really be on. You should really be on the Sam Harris podcast. And yeah. Ask. Sorry, too logical for us. <laughs> um, yeah. The future of fitness is at your place. The mirror is the nearly invisible interactive home gym. That when it's off, it's a mirror. Fucking wow! And when it's on, uh, well, when it's on, it appears to be a a a, t- a, a just a video screen uh, right. that shows workouts. Okay. Can anybody else think of another product that contains a video screen that you can show workouts on? Um, that that thing that made two pack the two pack hologram. <laughs> <laughs> Is yes. it uh, the telescreen from 1984? The only good book, <laughs> the only book ever written. Yes, yeah. So that and Harry Potter. That, yeah, 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 yeah. The only books ever written. But, but, yeah, because well, Harry Potter is like lib 1984, and uh, like 1984 is alt right 1984. Well, it's it's classical liberal. Yeah. Uh, 
So it's, isn't isn't this essentially just like a television, right? In the sense that like if you had a shiny screen on your television, you would literally be able to see yourself anyway. Well, here's a there's a key difference between it and a television, which as a television, you can watch like shows and stuff. Yeah. So you can do yeah. more stuff with a television. Yeah. You can also have like workout routines in your television, but this is it, motivate. Yeah. Mm, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, however, it also plugs into your phone and shows you some of your biometric health information of that otherwise you'd have to look at on your phone. It just tells you how fat you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you look fucking gross. Oh my God. Like, really? I'm like a mirror and even I am disgusted by this. Really like, bitchy mirror. Yeah. I'm not even real. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just, it, it's, it's a less functional television screen uh, that can also show you information from your phone, but that you don't have to look at your phone. And it's I a hear, mirror. I hear if you break it, you're left with seven years of now completely pointless repayments. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of repayments, uh, anyone want to guess uh, how much it costs? Going to go for that golden 690 pounds. Uh, it's, it's in dollars. Give me dollars. So how much do we think it costs for uh, a mirror, which again, I'll remind you, has the functionality of a mirror and then a broken TV? Is it nothing but exclusive rights over all the data generated? Now that oh. is, that's foreshadowing. You're yeah, smarter than that. Uh, you're, you're also smarter than us because I wouldn't have thought to say that. Yeah, <laughs> shit. Okay, uh, give me a- Quick, delete the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> give, me a doll, give me a dollar amount. Uh, I, I reckon it's about uh, $420. Hilarious. Nice. Very fun. I, I already do think it's about that. I already okay. said mine. Uh, yeah, but we but we we came in and we then we did oh. that hilarious Timothy Spall bit uh, Six- off mic with Joel Uber. So six hundred and ninety pounds. Ah, very good. No, you did all the funny numbers, but none of them were even close. <laughs> they were all less than half the actual price, which is fifteen hundred dollars. Jeez, Holy shit! But that's plus a twelve month subscription to your mirror. Why is your mirror black? Oh, the fucking money's run out on my mirror. I've not seen myself in weeks. (laughs) I have to look at myself in shop windows. (laughs) I can no longer afford the monthly payments on my mirror. (laughs) In in the student house I lived in, there was not a single mirror in the house, right? Uh Um, So we actually did have to go to like our friends' houses to shave. Um, Or like... Sometimes, surely you could have bought a mirror. <laughs> yeah, we could have done, but like we fucking did. Like, what's the issue, right? Okay. Um, no, it was. Yeah, it's. Uh, you you can live for at least six months without a mirror. Um, but if there was an option to buy a fifteen hundred, is it dollar fifteen hundred dollar mirror? Fifteen hundred dollar mirror plus plus the thirty nine dollar a month subscription to your yeah. mirror. Thirty nine dollars a month. But maybe my university life That's would have a, that been. That would be like half our Patreon if we got one of those mirrors. <laughs> That's what the Patreon really That's is. Absolutely, it's absolutely incorrect. That That's why we our said Patreon donate, has grown considerably donate more, more to our Patreon and we will get a mirror. That's not a promise. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that like maybe if you're behind with your payments, they don't actually cut off your mirror, but they just like throttle the bit rate like your internet service provider. <laughs> so you get like a really low res image of your own face. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, you get, you get, because it streams workouts basically to your mirror. Yeah. Um, again, you can't do that with any other screen, uh, internet so connected creepy. stream. That's yeah. like mm. super creepy, right? Oh yeah, Absolutely. Like imagine, imagine if like the sound, imagine if like the sound dies on that mirror, right? Or, or like it goes on accidentally and like you're coming back home one day and you're just seeing this like ultra realistic figure like doing fucking Pilates. Um, well, you're just trying to shave. Well, yeah. Well, all you're trying to do is like shave and have a piss. Yeah, absolutely. 
The Pilates person turns to you and is like, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And don't worry, it has a five megapixel front facing camera. That's so low res. That's like for like for that much money, could they not have just put a better camera in it? Like you the Samsung, could the Samsung, buy... the Samsung, the new Samsung Note is like 10, right? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, and it weighs 70 pounds also. Oh, nice. But I have a sturdy wall. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so we, we would get to call the mirror like our sun or something. Yeah. The mirror is like as big as, it's as heavy as like a large child and about as expensive. A <laughs> <laughs> large reflective sun. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's the, uh, that's the mirror. It costs $1,500, $39 a month. Uh, it is, it, it offers you as sort of a slightly personalized workout program. Uh, but mostly it just seems to be doing what uh, someone could do by watching fitness videos on YouTube for far less money. Have Thank you, Mirror. Have you ever thought, my Mirror hasn't asked me for any money this month, pussy. <laughs> train, train, train hard, pay regularly. <laughs> I'm looking forward to like the Jake Paul Mirror. Okay, go on. Elaborate on that idea, please. Well, I, mean, just like, I feel like the next frontier will just be everyone will have their own mirrors, right? Oh, so it's everyone's just going to do live casting from their bathrooms. Yeah. And team 10, more like team 20 if you're using the mirror. Uh, <laughs> come on, that's, that's better than you gave it credit for. <laughs> oh, um, goodness. Yeah. Everybody say, say, say to your iPhones what you thought of Milo's joke. <laughs> a Logan Paul mirror where it's like a mirror from one of those horror films where you look into it and you just see someone hanging from a tree in the background. Oh, no. <laughs> uh. Anyway, okay, that's the, that's the mirror. I can't wait till the social media star vloggers all get their own. Uh, so that, you know, you can, you can see like Jake Paul doing social experiments every day for like $39 a month. <laughs> social experiment. I'm turning on one, one mirror, one mirror user's camera. So everyone can see them sweat like a hog doing Pilates. It'd be me. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so we've got, um, we have some actual stuff, uh, actual politics to talk now. Boo. Yeah. Right. It's a shame. Yeah, I was going to do this mirror check. Politics. <laughs> Dumb as hell. Yeah. I, oh man. Can't we just talk about the mirror every episode? No, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, no, so uh, so uh, Sam Jima, uh, conservative MP, minister for uh, education, uh, re- made a speech entitled Reinvigorating Capitalism, a conservative approach to growing the economic cake post-Brexit uh, to the CPS think tank recently. And it was perhaps one of the... Um, it was perhaps one of... Uh, it was the most garbled right-wing pablum uh, I have heard in a very long time. Well, what's a pablum? Pablum is like a sort of, it's like a soft food you'd give like an infant. It's like Latin for Pablo. <laughs> <laughs> this is my friend, Pablum. <laughs> so um, Sam's speech, and uh, we're sort of getting into this because Sam's speech focuses on, um, on this sort of the optimistic potential of the UK tech sector to basically save us from a decade of moribund productivity growth in the, in the sort of aftermath of the financial crisis. And so I wanted to go, and also uh, it is a response to a lot of what um, people like the Archbishop of Canterbury have been saying, directly calling out the fact that capitalism simply isn't working for people. And so Sam, Sam is sort of, as one of the sort of cooler, younger conservative MPs, uh, is sort of he knows how to tie a tie properly. He knows how to tie a tie, oh, yeah. and apparently he's really good at posting, according to Sebastian Payne. He good gets po- it. Who's he's Sebastian he's, Payne? Uh, he, he's the guy it. with the he's the guy with like the famous tweet, which which goes something along the lines of the conservatives slowly but surely the conservatives are learning how to use social media. 
Oh, Sam wow. Jima gets it. So Sam's speech was essentially based on the idea that there's a necessary difference between growing the cake, which is definitely not a horrifyingly mixed metaphor, mm-hmm. and distributing the cake fairly. Cakes which, which famously grow from the ground. See, that's the, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the, conservatives understand, that's the conservative understanding of, um, of, of how baking works, is you get a red velvet cupcake and then you bury it. Yeah. And then everybody gets cake. We just have to bury the cake. And the fact that it hasn't grown anymore just means we haven't buried enough cupcakes. Bury more cupcakes so we can finally have cake as a nation. That's exactly. a trash feature. That's a new trash feature campaign. Poor people say they want to succeed, but have they ever buried a cupcake and watched it grow into a beautiful tree? No, because they have no commitment. <laughs> but he says that we must prioritize the former. Now, we all know, around this table know that that's absolutely ridiculous, that this idea that growth and fairness are not necessarily juxtaposed. Matthew, a lot of what you write sort of talks about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's sort of two things there to pick out. One is, uh, you know, that phrase, well-known phrase now on the left, which is sort of tech won't save us. And I guess Sam's talk where he sort of leans into sort of technology as our savior, I guess, falls directly into that trap. And I think Clearly, so there are things technologically that are being advanced, which are quite interesting, could be emancipatory in some form. But I think the key question we have to ask is, do technologies, do technical systems simply reproduce, reinforce existing inequalities of power, reinforce existing circuits for accumulation? And that clearly appears to be how most technological developments are being directed, who's shaping them, who's using them, and whose interests they operate on. So there's a sort of deeper question around the politics of technology, which we can get into. And then on the sort of specifics of you know, the UK's economic model, it's clearly not working as IPR's work has been showing, as many people have been saying, wage stagnation, deep regional inequalities, deep inequalities between gender, between occupation, between class, uh, you know, investment challenges that, you know, we could go on and Sam, on. Sam actually has a response to that. Uh, he, he, he says, uh, and I quote, capitalism is not perfect, but it's the best system we've got. So I'm sorry, but you've been owned. I mean, he has got me there. I mean, I, yeah. He blew my mind. Yeah. We only have one system. I mean, this is <laughs> it's really low on competition. It's not like there are like concurrently other systems running. Like, oh yeah, there's like a small part of Middlesbrough which is running on anarcho-feudalism. <laughs> <laughs> like, so he trots out the usual talking points, which are the rise of employment without mentioning that wages have not concomitantly risen, yeah. uh, that the conservatives have reduced the deficit, which is an achievement for some reason. Um, and also they haven't, like, even if you yeah. want to take that as an achievement, like, yeah, they like haven't. that's just not true. Uh, and then a restatement that austerity was necessary. So he actually says, they think that, uh, I've, critics of conservatives say that austerity, say we think austerity was a religion, but I remind you that it was necessary. Anyway, on to my next point. Whereas in fact, austerity was my great grandmother's name. <laughs> <laughs> and the constant, and he seems to say the constant thanks we owe capitalists and the baseless optimism in the future that we must plaster on our faces while we simply allow technology to just almost the development of technology to proceed as a natural process that will just sort of emancipate us somehow. Yeah. I mean, I think just taking it back a bit, I mean, when he talks about capitalism, I guess the intersection between capitalism and technology and where we're going on is that capitalism always expands at the frontier, always exhausts of certain modes of social reproduction, of resources, of material or social, and then moves to like onto the next domain. And I guess what we're seeing here, whether it's Uberization, whether it's of the enclosure of the information commons, that it's not necessarily producing sort of genuine value, but it's enclosing, extracting, often quite brutalizing in the protests. So I think when he talks about capitalism, it's sort of as the only system, I think that's, you know, 
Clearly, Middlesbrough might have something to say about that. <laughs> um, what about Salisbury? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, one thing about Salisbury, it's Spire. This is the only thing I know about it, which kind of reinforced it. Well, I know a few things about it, but you know, the one thing- Oh, you seem to have played a bit about Salisbury yeah, I, for I've an actually been, person. Well, exactly. I've been Searching. many times to the, to the very pub where it happened. No. Um, but <laughs> yeah, the Spire is the Spire that inspired the book, The Spire by William Golding, who taught in Salisbury. Yeah. Why doesn't his name rhyme with fire? That would have been so much better. There you go. That is the true question of this whole episode. Change your name. (laughs) (laughs) Change your name to William Fire. So to go go, going back to going back to Big Sam, right? Oh yeah. So one thing I was I was (laughs) (laughs) the glory years of English football. (laughs) Yeah. The niche like fake shake scandal where like he just said, well, I'm not sure I could do any of that without talking to the FA and he somehow still got fired. <laughs> Baffling, genuinely. A man who said, well, I couldn't do that because that would be corrupt, but was just fired for even taking the meeting. <laughs> so <laughs> pouring one out for my boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Me- he media had a house in Middlesbrough, actually. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did. God, this case is blowing right now. <laughs> It's all connected. Like, uh, for people who can't see what's going on in the studio, we've got like red string being pinned across a board. Like, there's a ZZ's two for one voucher in the middle. So, so this is this is this is going to be like the spin-off Trash Future, where we're going to make when we do like our, our own true crime podcast. It's like serial, but for dumbasses. It just ties into QAnon somehow. Um, okay, so like medium Sam. Uh, so he's, I don't know if he, he used to be university's minister, Yes, right? he still is. Is he still is? Yeah, so, so I was wondering why his name sounded familiar. And he was the guy who was basically like doing the whole free speech, like, you know, we'll fine universities if like they prevent, like, you know, did they do no, no platforming and stuff like that. And really like it kind of, this is just really an exemplification of like this man's, you know, at the best, it, at best it's like, um, naivety. But at worst and probably more likely is that like he's very well aware that these arguments are bullshit and like maybe not, you know, because like the, the argument that he's making in terms of like, yeah, capitalism is imperfect, but it's the best system we've got. Like that's something that like I read, we read on like internet forums all the time, right? From these like fucking like Adam Smith, like dipshits, you know, or like the idea that, oh, well, you haven't tried true capitalism yet yeah. because true capitalism is like laissez-faire free market. Oh yeah, no, like capitalism would be a great system if only we could ever actually try it for real. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it sort of feels as if like this is just like a talking point that he is recycling from these types of like libertarian, online it libertarian communities. Is. Following on from like other Tory ministers who are pretty much doing the same thing. Like he's basically, even in this particular instance, what he's doing is like waging a culture war rather than any sort of like pragmatic. Ah, oh, shit. That's, I, did, I hadn't thought of it. That's absolutely what he's doing. This yeah. is absolutely a culture war for them. Um, because he actually, because, and you know why? It's, you can tell it's a culture war for, for conservatives because they always trot out that people who are agitating for socialism should be thankful for what capitalism gave them. Essentially, that is, is that we owe the, is that we, is that, oh, you think you're, it's, it's the, um, oh, you're posting about socialism on an iPhone. How ironic. But in this, in a speech by a government minister, essentially. But of, of course, that's what it is. It's absolutely a culture war. Um, and it, he often does refer to momentum as a horde as well, which is fun. Yeah, it's, it's the biggest horde since the Mongols, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. yeah. Is there a specific number of people you need for it to be a horde? Uh, well, no other than that, is it, is it a rowdy band? <laughs> a merry band of rowdy men? A plucky unit. 
So he says, um, as as conservatives, we believe individuals are better interpreters of their own destiny than the collective. Anyone want to say why that's nonsense? Well, I mean, I think what is confusing about this mentality is this uh, zoning of of agency gets on the individual. But it's like, I guess the left would say, well, yeah, of course, the individual should be able to interpret their own destiny have capability. It's just that you can't really do that with institutions arranged and they are under sort of neoliberal capitalism. And the, the challenge is exactly how do you expand domains of freedom by rethinking institutions around debt, around governance, around technology, that actually you can expand freedom. And the left is actually about sort of deep freedom, not this pretty superficial sort of, you know, uber freedom, which I guess is what Sam is aiming towards. Well, yeah, it's that's the episode titled Uber for Freedom. It's the assumption that it's made freedom so much more quick. Just <laughs> five minutes and it's here. <laughs> Didn't enjoy this freedom. Three stars. Um, yeah, because it's the assumption that like any any left wing politics immediately results in the Soviet Union and like you can't you have no choice of bread anymore and you you have to queue to see your own children. Well, like, it's, that's, just, yeah. it's the it's 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 the they they see the we we you, I I already have to queue to see my own children outside family court. <laughs> <laughs> because you kept you kept extracting jizia for that guy in the Bentley. <laughs> Bentleys and watches aren't streetwear. Um, so yeah, but so yeah, he just thinks that in, when he when he says we believe individuals are the best interpreters of their own destiny, what he means is individuals who have proved themselves amazing, like Richard Branson, are the best interpreters of all of our destinies. Yeah, more or less. It's kind of the same argument that like the kind of apologists for Elon Musk make, right? Which is that, yeah, we kind of understand in theory that he hasn't really produced anything, but just the fact that like he does space stuff means that he operates on like a higher plane than I mean, the rest of us. I mean, Elon Musk is exactly the example of the sort of frontier capitalism at work. Yeah. yeah, they can't produce value on terra firma. And so the way to extract value is, well, let's go to another planet. So it's like the ultimate expression of this mode of capitalism, which yeah. expands the frontier. And now we've run out of frontiers because... We're on a planet that's like closed and frying and we're running out of sort of, you know, secular stagnation, et cetera, et cetera. Where do we go? We go to moon. We go to the Mars. The moon? <laughs> Mars. <laughs> you know I, mean? I mean, extra planetary I mean, he has, life. He has yeah. talked about the moon as well, right? Mars. Uh, yeah. he, he has talked about like setting up camp on the moon as well. So no one, no one will fuck me on earth. Well, I've got news for you. I'm going to go get some moon ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he wants, he thinks Iron Sky was a documentary and he oh, wants yeah. to go to the moon to fucking destroy the Nazis once and for he, all. He is totally the guy who's basically like fat, like he couldn't get laid in high school or college. So he, his literal thing was like, okay, well, my only real option is to go have sex in space. My only real option is to basically be like Wile E. Coyote, but have my crazy Acme inventions kill all my workers. So, uh, G- but but Jima says that, Jima sort of locates the frontier on the gig economy, more or less, and suggests that um, the flexibility that will be delivered to workers from being in the gig economy, and he says, he hand waves away the fact that it's used to sort of systematically deprive low-income people of their rights and sort of push the frontiers into what is tolerable for them. Um, he hand waves that away and says, yeah, but what about a mother who wants, what about a mother who's just given birth and uh, wants to, and I'm doing air quotes around that so big my fingers fell off, wants to make a little extra money. And he says, that's what the gig economy is good for. I mean, in that, if, if that was his example, I mean, surely the answer is like, well, we shouldn't be in a society where 
you know, new mothers have to go out to earn enough money to sort of sustain themselves. And they're, I mean, that is just such a bizarre example to choose yeah. to me. That's a bit, it just strikes. Yeah. Like, so what's striking about this really for me is that- That's like, that's like definitely like the, the, the main thing that mothers think about when they give birth to their kids. It's like, damn, I hope I get out of this hospital soon so that I can give more like, you know, dumb fucking leftist podcasters, Uber rides. I'm just really passionate about connecting with people. All right. I'm really passionate about connecting with people. I'm really passionate about like delivering customer service. And so it doesn't matter that one of my legs has been like smashed off in a, in a Tesla factory or that I've got a burst bladder from working at Amazon and never pissing. I'm really excited to actually get back into the gig economy and work for three hours so I can afford to get myself to the Peter Thiel blood bank. Hire more women delivery riders. <laughs> more pregnant delivery women. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be riding really fast. You're going to get your food there faster. Um, so, but what he, what's, what's striking here is that basically his point is that we have to have blind optimism in the tech sector um, and that assume that it's just going to raise all of our standards of living and that if we interfere in it, then all we're doing is being afraid of progress. That's more or less the point he's making. Or that's the way I kind of see it. Yeah. Um, and the, the, what really gets what really gets me about this is that essentially this speech was made more or less in response to Justin Welby because he he actually says if Justin Welby wants to debate the merits of capitalism uh, because these people are fucking addicted to debate for some reason um, then he's welcome to come over to my house have a Deliveroo and take an Uber ride home. Sorry, Justin, I guess you're not staying over. I'm pretty sure Justin Welby <laughs> like has a, a driver. I, 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 he's, he's like <laughs> he the Archbishop lives, of. He Canterbury. lives in Lambeth Palace. Yeah, he probably has a chef. Like, is, yeah. I mean, like the man. The man wears a fucking cape to work. Like, you don't you don't go talking this kind of shit to a man who wears a cape to work, Sam. This is like this yeah. guy. This guy is far more of a big dick player again, than you. And, it's, it's, and again, he completely just tells on himself because we. Oh yeah, you want to debate the merits of capitalism just forgetting that the delivery was delivered by a person and the Uber is driven by a person and all of these people are suffering under that business model. With a man also whose entire religion is based on like a, a poor dude who was like rising up against systems of oppression. I think this is like, so what's interesting to me about this is that this is very much like an extension of like George Osbornism, right? So like, you know, it's pretty well documented that like George Osborne has had this like very strong and David Cameron had this very strong relationship with Uber back during like the Cameron years when the Tories were trying to be like the progressive, you know, and when they were trying to be like the progressive right wing party, they allied with tech companies, right? They kind of looked at like, you know, wait, tech companies and the right allying astonishing. Well, this was like during the Obama years, right? So they were like, oh, you know, well, this is kind of like the benevolence of tech. And, you know, they're all like really nice liberal people. And there's this kind of culture that kind of projects progress. And, you know, all that kind of, all, the, all this stuff is really, all this stuff is like fairly new. And the thing about, um, the thing about Sam is that he's also one of these new batch of MPs that kind of came through during the, during the Cameron years. Fresh um, out of the allotment, grown especially. <laughs> you know, so he, so he comes, he comes from that like sort of, you know, I guess you could call it tradition, but he comes from that sort of political angle. Yeah, the chum, the chumocracy. Yeah. So for him, like, because like the ascension was really one in which kind of, you know, liberal, like so-called liberal conservatism allies with tech. Um, this is the kind of the way that he thinks. This is the way that his politics is like orientated. It's difficult for him and I imagine that it's difficult for him to kind of even view these companies who have like these cool apps and these cool logos and work in these cool offices. Like they, they could even possibly be bad or they could possibly like have negative for, like, outcomes. Well, for him, it's just, oh, my dinner's quicker. 
Um, I'm I'm at my destination uh, easily. It's for him. It's just he he doesn't notice how easy his life has become. And the well, fact he needs that orange more, chicken, man. The fact that more and more people are then just sort of are getting beaten down under this system to make yeah. life easier for like ten of them. Remember that lady that we talked about a couple episodes ago who worked at like CNBC and like shocked her dogs. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the same thing where she just totally she totally yeah. They just they sort of just completely forget. That, the, that all of these tech advances are really just making it a m- more easy and efficient to explain. Oh, she workers. was so great. Like consumer capitalism is so good because it means I can order dog torture equipment <laughs> at the touch of a button. Yeah, yeah <laughs> go, go back. Go, go back to that. What? That's pretty much. That's pretty much what she said. She was talking about how like um, online shopping and consumer capitalism by extension is so great because she can like sit on her sit on her couch and like order whatever she wants at the touch of a button. And like she lists like all the <laughs> stuff she orders like in the course of one evening, and most of it was like various things you would use to harm a dog. <laughs> Like, <laughs> it was a dog shock collar. Yeah, it was like a dog shock collar. It was like something else weird for a dog as well. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, it was. I think we might have made the rest of it up. Okay. <laughs> it was a dog shock collar. But here's yeah. the thing. This is this is the best the conservative party can do as a vision for the future yeah. at this point. It's the best they can do. Yet let's hear what big dick Justin Welby has to say. Uh, he Huge doubled it after, after the IPBR report was released and he was roundly criticized by a bunch of people misunderstanding the render unto Caesar passage from the Bible. Um, he said, today, there are some who view uh, the, this kind of oppression, referring to the gig economy, of the employed as a virtue. The gig economy, zero hours contracts, it's nothing new. It is simply the reincarnation of an ancient evil. When justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, the food banks close, the night shelters are empty, families and households are hopeful of better lives for themselves and their children, themselves and their children, rather. Money is not a tyrant and justice is seen. Does he always talk like this? I fucking, that'd be sick. Those are bars. Those were bars. Like just down the pass. I think he has, he has identified a malefactor and he has put forward a vision of a, of a society that will be better in several concrete ways without just relying on the sort of unspecified beneficence of the tech sector. Can we, but to just, it's an enormous dick opinion on the, on the second mention of the word malefactor, spiritual, by the way, can we, spiritual can dick. We women, can have, out, women can have big dick opinions as well. Can we pull one out for our boy, a uh, boss of terrible enemy of the show who shall not be named, whose name is like a really shady capitalist and whose name is literally Mallory factor. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, God, oof, what a weird name. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, because the, but I think that's the, this, this should give I think, British socialists some hope, which is that we have reclaimed the territory of understanding who the malefactor in society is. And the right has lost this. And that means that, that essentially they are, can simply defend their record on the economy and warn that accepting the politics of Corbyn, McDonald, Abbott and Welby will change the country for the worse. And we actually have something to re- not just to respond to that, but to absolutely steamroll it in terms of getting people excited about politics. The only problem is the only thing the right can do beyond this is accept fascism, which they kind of have and are. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of things there. Just um, it does seem to me, and I would say this because I work in sort of like you know, the broad lefts of think tanks of policy space, but the right does seem like desperately out of ideas now. Like they basically exhaust the intellectual and indeed the sort of material realms which they can reproduce themselves. You know, they've privatized all the sort of social housing they can, they, you know, they've, they've run out of, sort of both material and intellectual ideas. And you can really see that if you look at like Adam Smith Institute, they've obviously done this sort of quite cunning rebranding, being like we're the think tank for neoliberalism. But then you look at what they actually say, they kind of say like, well, just like abolish planning laws. And you're like, 
Okay. Like, I mean, if, if that's literally your solution to sort of crisis of capitalism, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a weak. Build anything anywhere. Right, exactly. I mean, it's just this like, huge statue of a dick. Okay. <laughs> that's what freedom is. Yeah. That's, it's, a, it's a monument to Justin Welby's awesome opinions. Yeah. <laughs> Massive dick opinion. <laughs> Redevelop Lambeth Palace into a huge dick <laughs> in honor of Justin Welby. In a good way. Yeah. Um, so, so but the other thing is the your point about sort of who, a politics without an enemy and a sort of a demoralized politics. I think the left always struggles on that terrain because you need that you need you know enemies in a broad sense. Like, well, what what are we trying to overcome here? What can we mobilize around? What are the institutions? What are the sort of actors we're trying to push back or reform or democratize? And I think you know Welby's intervention, naming sort of some of these evils, you know, exploitation, the gig economy, you know, as the obvious one, is a useful sort of intervention in that sense. Absolutely. It's we, it's like, it's, we have this, we have very much in the vein of Stella gotten our groove back <laughs> Two. no, again, it's how Stella got her groove back again. Fuck Nate, fix my mistaken post. I can't let the Stella heads get on my case. Um, so, but one I don't of the, I understand any of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just smiling and pretending yeah. I know exactly. You guys, all, I thought, I thought you guys st- know nothing of the late period comedies of Whoopi Goldberg. I thought the Stella had, <laughs> the Stella heads were like people down Weatherspoons at 11 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like so, really pro Stella Creasy, like Twitter fan. Oh yeah. Niche. Oh, yeah. Did you, yeah. did you see this morning actually, you know, you know the, well, I know you saw it because it was DM, but the video of, uh, of Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> going into his house, it was a classic one of those like Jeremy Corbyn entering his 700,000 pound house, which actually looks like a shit hole. Because like, when you actually see it, you're like, oh, that's not impressive at all. And then, and then they're like, oh, Jeremy Corbyn, what are your thoughts on being so rich? And he's like wearing like a fucking tracksuit top, shorts and trainers. He literally looks like he's been doing the fruit machines down the pub all morning. And they're trying to portray him as this like arch capitalist. Like, yeah, how, hey, um, Jeremy Corbyn, you live in a house and yet you're a socialist. Any see, this, this is why the left will always win because when the right wants to show they're rich, they'll kind of like wear cravats and like their oxid blazers. <laughs> Little fancy boys. Where, where, where is it? To left the rich, they'll just buy like really baggy like streetwear stop, uh, from Stuzzy. Stop calling me out on the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is anyone wants to know where their Patreon money is going. Straight on the mirror. More supreme for Riley. One of the ways in which the left actually does have uh, ideas, uh, Riley said, doing a super cool segue. Um, uh, is this it's like an actual segue? Yeah, it's, it's, it's I'm just really I'm, cool. zip, I'm zipping along um, mm. on, on on my segue uh, into the next part of the show where we're talking about the Digital Commonwealth Report itself, but which is, as we said earlier, sort of looking at the data economy and how to democratize it. Yeah, so it came out last week, and I guess the core of it is that at the moment, there are three, four, five dominant firms, which are basically enclosing the information commons, dominating the development of the infrastructures upon which we all rely, whether it's cloud computing, search technology, analytical capability. And that if we actually want to repurpose technologies not simply reproduce inequalities, not simply reproduce sort of anti-emancipatory politics. We need to think about how can we move from this enclosure to a commons where data and the digital infrastructure that sits behind it are organized as a collective good, as a resource for emancipation, for innovation, for you know, inclusiveness, not in a sort of bland sort of speak, but actually enabling people to have data and control both individually, but also collectively around how they shape their so lives. How does something like Facebook enclose, you say enclose data? Mm. How, what, what's, what's going on there? I mean, I think of enclosures, I, I think of a, you know, a 17th century fop putting up a bunch of hedges and then, you know, getting fucking the shit kicked out of him by his peasants. Soft play areas, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's, it's more the, the former than the latter in terms of the analogy and the land analogy works quite well. So wh- how, what is the business model of a company like 
Facebook. It is to create a platform in which users go on it. They generate data through using that platform. That data is then used by Facebook at scale, aggregated, analyzed. And the insights generated from that is then sold to a third party, normally advertisers, for profit. The, analysts, the analytical data is also then used to sort of train machine learning, to sort of develop AI systems to improve the platform. So you have this very circular dynamic where you want to get more and more data, more and more users, more and more data, round and round it goes. And the enclosure is that the control of that data, the access to that data is often very tightly controlled. So what could be a really sort of useful social resource, a social good, is in fact controlled, dominated, monopolized yeah. by Facebook. And then it's example. used It's used to sell us like slightly personalized uh, 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 t-shirts that'll say stuff like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm strong, I'm fast, I drive, a fa- I drive a big car, and you wouldn't know it because it's a being born in June thing. <laughs> I mean, I guess if that will cut, yeah, cuts off in your feet. Oh yeah, those, like, those weird like custom t-shirts yeah. that are computer generated, they're so weird. Um, yeah. I love it when people accidentally buy those thinking they're a real thing and then they get one and like, yeah, they're, they're really bad. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like the, it, Facebook is essentially using its business model to try and transition the entire world to like clothing and mugs generated by bad Markov chains. Like, um, you know, the world, the world's greatest Ford truck driving, gun toting, uh, Reagan loving uh, dad. But then it gets yeah. shipped to your aunt. I was in IKEA today, and I think like they like the signs in <laughs> IKEA are generated by those because they had a big sign on the wall that was like, I guess ostensibly an artwork, and it just said a love of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that so would totally, yeah, you wouldn't get it. It's a love of things thing. I mean, but what I mean, I think one of the things that is challenging though is that yeah, absolutely right in this sort of the primary phase of their development like yeah their thing is selling information to advertisers to sell like pretty rubbish products quite often but the point is the sort of big dominant platforms if you look at alphabet if you look at sort of apple to an extent certainly so facebook and amazon their sort of goal is not just to stop there but to sort of basically enclose us in a sort of totality of themselves that we will exist within amazon so amazon's got 5000 uh, patents now and they you know you can see a world in which Facebook, they, you know, they'll move into healthcare, they'll move into banking, they'll move it, and you will end up having four or five major platforms which aren't just selling you sort of, you know, or sort of selling information about you to advertisers. They have whole sector controls over vast swathes of the economy, and not least they'll be able to do that because they have the data and the analytical capability to just move into more and more sectors, knocking them out. And you can see that, you know, you can see, you know, Uber, yeah, Uber's small fry. I wouldn't worry about Uber, but like you can see sort of like, you know, Amazon is moving into a whole host of areas. They're moving into some physical retail with well, they're, they're, whole now, foods. Now, even just today, Jeff Bezos said he wanted to open a school where he thinks of the kids as customers. Well, exactly. And so in some ways, I do think the, um, the sort of platformization, the sort of datification society is sort of neoliberalism at its most extreme, at least in its current iteration, in the sense that neoliberalism is about sort of the marketization and sort of transformation of political act into sort of economic act. And so why is that, you know, why is... Customer, obviously the customer thing, you don't need to explain the kids thing, but I think looking at their business model yeah. as neoliberalism, what it does is it tracks, traces, and transforms everything we do in the digital realm and increasingly in the physical realm, you know, as we're traced through cities, as we're traced in our sleep, you know, this mirror thing we were talking about, what that is is a way of tracing in your most intimate moments data, which is then generated at scale to be transformed into economic information. And so in that sense, it really is a sort of transformation of sort of homo politicus, homo, you know, the person as a political social animal into we inescapably become a generator of value for these firms. We're ensnared in the net of the platform. And so, so politically, if you think about how can you move beyond neoliberalism, you can't do that 
without thinking about how you reorganize the digital economy and in particular those who occupy the commanding heights of the economy. I am very excited for Facebook to take over the entire justice system. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah. every day have the, just the pettiest arguments with like shitheads I knew in high school or whatever, just uh, sort Hell of decided yeah. on the blockchain automatically with smart contracts. Like it's it'd be it's going to be incredible when when Facebook also takes over Family Court. Oh yeah, I mean to be honest, if you look at the work of someone like Kathy O'Neill in the states and Frank Pasquale, uh, who look at sort of al- algorithm justice, is much more serious, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> much, much, much more serious. But if you look at what they're doing, you know, ultimately the justice system in the states, you know, is increasing, you know, very deformed, obviously, but it increasingly does rely on a lot of these sort of indicators, which ultimately are generated from social data, and therefore, mm-hmm. in some ways, you are sort of seeing this bleed across. From you know digital information into the most fundamental questions of you know justice, human rights, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which pose deeply problematic sort of issues towards democratic governance and judicial norms. I, for one, am looking forward to sending my high school rival uh, to death in Facebook court um, <laughs> because he took the girl that I fancied to prom. Um, and I had to go, and I had to go on my own. <laughs> I know it's been like over a decade, but like I'm still mad about and it. Facebook's robot judge is like, that's not what friends do, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook's robot judge sentences you to being a fake friend. It plays, it plays you, it plays him a video of his friendship with Hussein <laughs> immediately before he's executed. <laughs> like if Twitter took over, like the, the, ju- the justice system, and you know, if Twitter took over the justice system. Like if you have enough followers, you can just murder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it'll be it'll be extreme. It'll be extremely funny then. But basically, like Drill will be the person sending. Mm. No, this is the world that Drill, the sort of the character that the guy behind Drill create created is. He was actually saying this is a guy who is like permanently enraged and sort of lives in hell, more or less. <laughs> and we are creating a world where we're all becoming Drill. Like that's the thing. Everyone's like, "Oh, Idiocracy was a documentary." No, Drill was a documentary. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, you know, but the other thing I, I kind of want to want to talk about here is like, I don't think of a lot of these platforms really, we were talking about this earlier. I don't even think of a lot of these platforms as tech companies. Uh, I think of them rather as incidentally technology companies that in, in fact, many of them are just ways to push worker exploitation further and then use a sleek app to more or less cover up what they're actually doing. Yeah. So I think when we talk about sort of platform economy as a whole and the individual sort of companies within that, I think it's important to try and distinguish between sort of a bucket of companies, which I think kind of do what you say in some ways, which is that they're not really advancing sort of huge technical insights. They're often just picking up stuff that, you know, as per the Mariana Mazzucato argument, sort of public investment has helped generate. So if you look at, you know, GPS coordinating technologies, mapping technologies that sit behind something like Uber, yeah, you know, that is ultimately, you know, it's a snazzy app and it's, it creates, you know, it's very mm-hmm. useful and slick, but it obviously relies on sort of pushing down and putting a hell of a lot of pressure um, and exploitation on the sort of driver. So that's one. And then you can think of lots of sort of, you know, platforms that do that, that kind of intermediate between labor or between the supply of assets. They don't really create something new, but they sort of play a coordinating role. Matching. Yeah, a matching role. I've invented a button that makes a Toyota Prius come to your house. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. I've invented a button. One of these guys is going to invent a button where you pay like a pound and someone somewhere gets hit in the nuts and that's it. <laughs> you don't even receive proof that they were hit in the nuts you just have to believe it so there is a, there is a japanese game show that and again this is not the racial slur this is just what the thing is called the chinko machine um it's just that's just its real name you can look it up uh c-h-i-n-k-o 
And what it does is you stand on top of it and you say a tongue twister or you answer a skill testing question. And if you get it wrong, then a little catapult arm comes up and flicks you in the nuts. It's my favorite thing to watch. Damn, that sounds dope. <laughs> Meanwhile go, in Japan. We should go on. Yeah, we should def- we should definitely go on. I would get flicked immediately. But that's the, but that's the future in many of this kind of gig economy is that it's going to be like, I want to flick someone in, in, in the nuts. I'm not even going to get them to say a tongue twister. I push a button and boom, off they go. Yeah, I mean, so exactly. So I think, and that's the thing. I mean, the, so the positive story here, apart from the sort of button pressing, whatever, <laughs> um, is the sort of gig economy. A lot of it can be, you know, some pretty old fashioned regulations of labor rights and of employment rights can kind of fix a lot of the things going wrong there. And so, and so you can kind of address some of the exploitation that sort of Justin Welby was talking about that you guys have been referring to uh, in that. And so that, that's one category of platform company. I think the, the harder thing, and frankly, the, the bigger challenge, more interesting thing is not these sort of companies, which I think often they're sort of Ponzi schemes that sort of in the other type or they rely on exploitation. It's the big sort of companies which are clearly doing technological yeah. innovation. Amazons and so forth. Yeah, Amazon, you know, sort of Alphabet, sort of, you know, machine learning technologies, Apple, et cetera. And they, they're sort of a mix of, again, you've got to unpick them. They're a mix of, you know, clearly technological advance. They spend a lot of money on research and development. So they're not just frontiers. They do clear economics of investment, you know, creation of some new product lines, of which there are many sort of, you know, lots of people benefit from their access in exchange for their data which, you know, many people I'm sure would give up that trade-off still. So that's an interesting sort of, I guess, question for the left around sort of where that trade-off lies. But then they also obviously occupy this sort of infrastructural power. You know, they are much, much more powerful than your Ubers, your Airbnbs, et cetera. Airbnb. Do you, yeah, just, lot, do you just yeah, try to just, attorneys general yeah, Airbnb? Exactly, exactly. Well, why? someone's got to. But, um, <laughs> and it, so it's really sort of what do you do about Airbnb, these companies? Mm. You know, what do you, they've accumulated the most data, sort of most analytical capability, the biggest cash piles, got huge cash piles. They're very financialized corporations. You know, what can we do, given our sort of limited jurisdictional sort of power, to actually say, actually, we can reimagine the use of technologies to deepen freedom, to deepen capability, not just for sort of you know, the tech oligarchs at the sort of center of this, but actually much more broadly and sort of diffusely. And I'm afraid Sam Jima has you uh, owned in the argument again because we owe them thanks for inventing all this stuff for us, remember? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, th- I feel he's going to owe me every time. Yeah, with, every, he's got some snappy line up oh, his he's, sleeve he's always, every time. He, I'll just Google a response. Yeah, he's always, he's always going to own. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's precisely it. the question is, is not. And here's the thing. A lot of uh, liberals will say this as well, where it's like, well, you want socialism, but don't you like your Facebook and your, and your Google and so on. Uh, and it's like, sure, I do like those things. I don't understand the social worth of Jeff Bezos making more money than most people in London will ever make combined in a minute. So, yeah, so there's a, I don't know if you've seen that stat from earlier this year, but Jeff Bezos, I was never sure if it was Bezos or Bezos. So that's, that's useful contribution. We call him Jeffrey Kisses on yeah. the show. Well, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's probably better <laughs> His net worth has gone up every day in 2018 by $405 million. So, you know, it, it, we're talking about a scale of accumulation, a scale of concentration, which is really, you know, unma- I mean, he's the richest man in history, uh, in history now. Um, Can I be Jeff Bezos for a day or like an hour? That'd be great. I just did. I just like I'd siphon it off into an offshore account. Is that, I mean, what would you if you couldn't siphon it off? What would you do as Jeff Bezos for an hour? I'll just run out in the street and wank. <laughs> I just take him down that way. I'd I'd Coney twenty twelve him. Remember Coney twenty twelve? 
that's the only ex- that, that is the only it is the only acceptable answer. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but right. So so we have when pro- when platforms are organized as private goods because that's the thing. Other thing that that the that 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 the Jimas of the world sort of forget is he's saying, well, you can't organize an economy because the economy organize the economy is self organizing. Well, no, it has been organized this way. Been organized so that you know the only way to like to defeat Jeff Bezos is like being John Malkovich into his head and then do a Coney 2012. Mm. Um, but, but how can we, it's interesting how doing a Coney 2012 doesn't involve Joseph Coney in any way. <laughs> so the question is how can we organize platforms as a public good? Yeah. I mean, I guess that is, that's central to it. So I think you've got to start by sort of, again, I'm picking where their power lies. So partly it's control of digital infrastructure. So I think it's partly developing some of it publicly and democratically infrastructures around cloud computing and local capability that sort of takes out that Rontier position and expands who can access it, can expand, can use it, sort of decommodify it, sort of creates sort of the te- technology for the many. So I saw Fairbnb as an example. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, with all these things, they can, so I think what I think we need to think about so in terms of policy, at least, is that Fairbnb as a sort of model, sort of like an ethical platform, because, you know, as you say, it's not the, the, pro- the platform is not the problem. It's the sort of the undergirding of it. Precisely. It's sort of the cycles of accumulation. It drives power inequalities, et cetera. For, for just for listeners, Fairbnb is a sort of alternative to Airbnb that is sort of more kind of community owned and organized. It's in Barcelona? Yeah, it's Barcelona. Yeah. I think Amsterdam as well, a number of cities. But I think realistically, given the scale of the sort of the Airbnbs of this world, sure. particularly the role of sort of you know, venture capital, et cetera, flooding into these type of sort of, uh, sort of platforms, you need public policy to say, actually, actively, we want these things to scale and we're yeah. going to shape, promote, mm-hmm. incubate and expand them. What it shows us is that it's possible to do this without the capitalist at the top becoming unimaginably wealthy. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely possible to unmoor sort of technologies from mm-hmm. cycles of capitalist accumulation, it, but it needs a politics which is much more critical about technologies, much more serious about getting into the weeds of the institutions and how sort of laws, governance, technologies interact and sort of reshaping them towards you know, different outcomes. That's precisely it. And that's why I think I'm, I will sort of return back sort of CODA-like to, to Sam Jima's speech, where he says that capitalism gave us Amazon, Deliveroo, Airbnb, uh, Alphabet, whatever. Um, yet that's true because it gave those to us in their current extractive forms. And, we, and it is up to us to actually decide that we want something different. Um, and so the, and I think your, your report, sorry, I, I, I said something and then I just kept going. Uh, so I'll, I'll say that again. And it's up to us to decide that we actually want something different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've got to, we've got to have a politics that is much more serious about technology and the development of technology, and sort of interrogates link between sort of capitalist dynamics and technological uh, dynamics. Precisely. Mm. So one of the proposals, like the report, has several proposals. Um, some of which I are sort of you know relatively sort of I think common sense regulations. But one of the ones that jumped out to me was one of the things we can start doing is looking at regulating platform companies like utilities. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is again this goal of how how we can create a sort of digital commons, uh, opening up sort of access, and while also reigning in the power of some of these sort of you know ginormously powerful um, companies. And our idea was actually, if you look at what they do, increasingly their services are basically you know they are provided in a sort of monopoly way. You know, Gmail has got a huge sort of share of the market, similar sort of Googling, similar for Facebook as a social network, similar for Amazon as sort of deliverer of a huge range of products. And those services of matching, searching, mapping is fundamental to life. It's very hard to sort of exist in many ways as a sort of you know, citizen of a digitalized society without those services. And so they occupy 
the equivalent of utility functions in our economy. They're infrastructural sort of services, infrastructural goods. We need them to go about our life. So rather than allowing these to be sort of controlled and sort of extracted, extracting great wealth from that control uh, in their current sort of dynamic, we're saying actually we should regulate them like we regulate the water companies. You know, I mean, obviously there's a debate about public ownership of those companies, but sort of a series of utilities, regulate them and say, if you want to operate in this country, your license to operate requires you to do certain things. And I suppose the biggest thing that we sort of suggest is that to operate in these areas, you, so your Googles, your Facebooks, your Amazons would have to be required to open up their data. So what's that mean? So it means their data, which ultimately sits at the heart of their economic power, their ability to sort of create artificial intelligence systems, their ability to generate revenue through selling on to sort of information onto advertisers, which is the core of their revenue model. They would turn that data into machine readable. So, you know, sources of data, sources of information that we can then extract socially information from that other companies could potentially extract information from, that sort of civil society could extract information from. And they would put it out there. I mean, one good way of thinking about how this could work is if you actually go on sort of the TFL. Um, so if you just Google TFL open data, it's actually a really good example of what it would mean. So if you go on the TFL sort of website or TFL open data, you can basically see it arranges in a very accessible way a huge range of data sets that the TFL generates. So everything from air quality to sort of traffic numbers to fatalities to whatever it would be. And the idea almost is at scale, do that. So you can have it, all this information, which is currently siloed and generating vast economic reward for a few, can actually be opened up and you can create a whole range of digital products, services, value, social, sort of social value um, sort of from it. And so, so yeah, it's worth looking at that sort of TFL sort of side just to get a sense of it. I mean, I think, you know, because ultimately when you're regulating this data to be an open good, I think the key thing to remember is that in some ways, you know, the, the platform economy and the digital economy is in some ways the expression of a sort of, you know, the growth of social intelligence, which is in some ways what this is, sort of analysis at scale from data, is in some ways a form of contemporary sort of non-state socialism. It is our collective data, our sort of thoughts, experiments with our digital footprint as a result collected at scale socially, because ultimately, you know, data has no value if it's not aggregated. Individual data doesn't work, so privatizing data doesn't work. But aggregated at scale, it is, for, you know, in some ways a great sort of socialist achievement if socialism is the collective effort and endeavor of people to create information and cultures and sort of freedoms. And so in some ways we need to think, well, actually the resource being created is in some ways sort of, you know, emblematic of a type of politics that sort of we should be aiming for in some ways, but it's how do we get the institutions to do that? And one of the things we suggest is regulating these companies as utilities. So, you know, they'd still exist. They'd still, you know, create money, but probably much less. Woo. <laughs> exactly. And hopefully, you know, focus a lot more on creating real products of value. But you also, uh, the sorry, data would be open. Do you not remember the whole, like, weird custom mugs and, and T-shirts and so on? Well, yeah. so it's funny enough, in our report, we have, we sort of look at Amazon as a case study and we end mm. up by suggesting in the future, we wouldn't be surprised if you look at their business model and their sort of patterns of development that you will end up having sort of a Amazon coffee mug, which is linked to like an Amazon sort of coffee store, and you go in, you put it in, it automatically does it. It's linked up to a sort of Amazon account, like Amazon Prime coffee, and so it's you know it's not inconceivable that some of these like ridiculous sort of suggestions could become reality. Well, that, that that I mean the world the world that was continuing to be created by sort of closed data monopolies is essentially going to be one where there are five coffee shops and you have to have the special proprietary cup that only works with each of them. And it's like, oh, I prefer Facebook coffee. 
I wish I could get one from Amazon, but you know, I'm not a Prime member. Oh, yeah, I'm not a Prime Bebo citizen. Like Alex Jones is preferred brand now. He's banned from any other platform. But I mean, I think that, I mean, that's an analogy of like, you know, oh, you can get coffee anywhere as long as it's on my proprietor sort of Amazon mug. I mean, that that's the heart of it, actually. I mean, despite it seeing a bit stupid, like platform capitalism kind of mirrors neoliberalism and capitalism sort of as a mode of production in its duality. So yes, obviously it is expansive. It expands potential opportunities and freedoms and, you know, gives you more choice and whatnot in some realms and domains, not particularly as a consumer, obviously, you know, with all the sort of caveats around that. But at the same time, it much more deeply constricts and contracts freedom, you know, whether it's in staring you with debt, whether it's actually like proprietary controls over mugs, which really, there's really no need for that. It could be so, sort of, you know, much more freely open, yeah. sourced and created. That would never work because the only reason people go to coffee shops anymore is to like, Get like I get like I support Trump, MAGA patriot uh, written on their mugs. Damn right. I thought it was to sort of be like, my name is I support the second referendum. What was that oh, thing that was on Brexit Twitter where everyone was name. like, I yeah. went into the coffee shop and said my name is whatever, and everyone cheered. <laughs> no, oh, voting yeah. is no, that's the other thing in the platform economy. In the in the private platform economy, all voting is just replaced with what name you choose on your coffee order. <laughs> Interesting. I am excited for Amazon open data though, because we can finally find out what the fuck is behind the suggested items for you algorithm, because there's never been, I've never had worse suggestions in my life. And like a lot of my friends have serious drug problems and they make better suggestions to me than the suggested <laughs> items for you algorithm. So that's, that's the world. That's essentially the world of the closed platform sort mm. of seeping into the physical realm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you would imagine that this sort of interconnection between sort of, the physical and the digital will become much more intense and they will be aiming for a world, you know, going back to the enclosure point, they'll be go, aiming for a world in which they enclose you in totality in their systems, whether that is, you know, running sort of a physical infrastructure, physical sort of goods and services, or in the digital realm, you know, whether, you know, that is their goal. You know, each of these companies, their goal is quite, is universal in a way that sort of industrial capitalism is distinct and actually much more limited in how it sort of goes about making money and it's sort of, its objects and its sort of goals, platform capitalism is just much, much more expansive. And I think we've sort of failed to grasp that really they are seeking the ensnaring within their networks to generate data and sort of control through the infrastructure of all of society. And there's this quote by Lenin saying like, all of society will become a factory. And really that is- All of society will become a Facebook group. Exactly. But the Facebook group is oh a factory. God. I mean, it is a sort of digital labor factory. Yeah, it's a, and, it's a, it's and, a, it's a, and not just we're going on Facebook because lots of us, you know, but you won't be able to escape the factory because you'll move through a city and sort of Siemens will have lots of, you know, internet of things devices in like five years across all the mm. cities that will, you know, you will inescapably be generating revenue for Siemens. So you know, unless we have a different urban politics, different sort of democratic politics. So it's official posting is labor. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, this is my point about, you know, it, it, it nearly ensnares you because it is. I mean, it is like a yeah. form of mm. emotional and sort of digital labor. That's you know what? If you, love what revenue. If, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wait, so this enclosed economy actually is going to be a, a soft play area because it's going to be like a padded, brightly colored dystopia and you're not going to be wearing shoes because your shoes aren't compatible with it. <laughs> your shoes, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you're, you can wear shoes, just you can only wear... Uh, you can only wear Amazon shoes that talk about how cool it is to be a Gemini. Hush Kisses by Jeffrey. But, are, right. but are Amazon shoes hype beast? That's really the most important question. Uh, listeners, yell at your phone the answer. Um, I think, I think, that's, I think that's, that's a, a good place as any to, uh, to wrap things up. Yeah, we aren't quite mm. like Joe Rogan level yet where you can do like three hour, three hour podcasts. With digressions about how a chimp would tear you to shreds. <laughs> Mid-sentence digressions um, and we, and about we, chimps. And we don't, we don't have any kush to like offer you. 
No. Um, I know. I know. You're, we're not, you're we're not, proprietary I'm sorry. Okay, this workspace. I'm sorry. I'm, my two co-hosts appear to want to apologize that you we that you didn't mistakenly come on the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> I'm not gonna Sorry, lie. I don't know who Joe Rogan is. He's the guy who made people eat insects in the late nineties and now <laughs> is inexplicably like a podcast philosopher. I don't understand. Uh, uh, you hear it here first, first, folks. Yell who Joe Rogan is at your phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. All right. Uh, so. Uh, here once again goes the the end matter of the show. Uh, Matthew, thank you very much for coming on. This it's was a, a genuine pleasure. Yeah, it was number great. two, we have a Patreon. You know it. We know it. All of our our coolest, drunkest antics go on the Patreon. Uh, we Hell have a yeah. lot of good fun on the Patreon. Give us money so that we can pay for family. Is this court? coming out before the Matt Zarb one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's going to be the Matt Zarb ep up on the Patreon after this one. So if you like, if you like your, if you like your Matt Zarb's nice and cousin. <laughs> If you like to keep it in the family, <laughs> when you listen to an episode with Matt Zarb. Oh, God, I'm going to replace you with a fish. I swear to Christ. Oh, you can marry Matt Zarb. It's technically legal. <laughs> um, uh, you see, you never let me get through the end matter. So subscribe to our Patreon. It's very fun. Um, and we're the first leftist podcast to ever do that. Pay our child yeah. support. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pay our pay, child pay support. Pay Hussein's family court bills. Pay, pay Hussein's family court Facebook group bills. Um <laughs> And then also, we, of course, have to thank Ginseng for our theme song. It's called Here We Go. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, it's very good. You should listen to it. And in fact, I've already done the Vremi plug for today, but you can also commodify your descent with a T-shirt from Lil Comrade. Hey, guys, isn't it ironic that we're complaining about capitalism using all of this uh, equipment capitalism gave us? Fuck, we're, he got us again. Damn. Well, owned. best. Damn. So. Yeah, best quit the show and join the Adam Smith Institute. Nope, the, you know, you, we have to do the only thing that on, that sort of extremely online leftists are allowed to do by the logic of conservatives, which is just go live in a forest under a rock because everything else is capitalism. Oh, yeah. Ironically, isn't that what the ultra capitalists are doing? They're all like buying a forest in New Zealand and going to like escape there. The real horseshoe theory. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Good night, everybody. All Cheers, right. guys. <laughs>